0: Being a Christian means that we have to die to our flesh. Is it painful? Yes, it's painful. I wanted to just hold that anger and bitterness because I was—I felt justified in that. But God said, Becky, you've got to let it go because your sin is just as bad and destructive as your husband's. And so God has freed me Mm -hmm. from that. And that's one of the reasons why God's not only done a work in his life, but God has done a huge work in my life. Mm -hmm. I understand the grace and the forgiveness of God in a way that I've never known it
1: before. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. The last time we got together, we sat down with Justin and Becky Morris. Their marriage was heading to divorce court after Justin's addiction to drugs spiraled out of control. Losing all trust in Justin and even anger towards God, Becky felt justified in her anger and bitterness, but discovered her response was equally destructive. This two-part interview was originally produced 10 years ago. But I felt the story is relatable to so many people today. Let's conclude our conversation with Justin and Becky Morris. The last time we left you, we shared a very tough story for the Morrises. We shared with you that Justin and Becky both had been in the ministry of church planting, planted a church on the West Coast in Washington State, Also planted a church in the Memphis area, been in ministry for 12 years. Uh, These two uh, fell in love about age 19, had a passionate love for Christ, desiring to see what he would do with their lives. They've been married for 20 years. During the process of their life together, Justin started developing headaches, and it was through those headaches that he started becoming dependent upon pain pills. The pain pills became more than just trying to take care of the headache. They became an addiction. Matter of fact, to the point where he was doing up to 30 pills a day at that point. And they share with us how this started basically unraveling their family. I mean, just basically deteriorating to a point where they came to a halt and uh, needed help. The church that Justin was uh, pastoring at the time, the men came to him and said, look, there has to be a change. He followed through at that point and went about three years, I believe you said. Mm -hmm. About uh, three and a half years. About three and a half years Mm -hmm. without doing drugs but you still had not bottomed out. Get our listeners up to date where we left off last time, Justin.
2: Well, after being clean for about three and a half years, but not really whole, still wallowing in the shame and the remorse, the regret of what I had done. I was just never had arrived back at a healthy place with God. We had not become healthy in our marriage. Becky continued with a lot of animosity and bitterness, unforgiveness. She had to come to terms with. It was continue to be fed by my lack of moving on and developing a real passion for life. So last summer, uh, toward the end of the summer, through a series of, of converging circumstances, out of fellowship with any godly men, wasn't in in any kind of intimate relationships with you know friends and connecting. We weren't involved in church. We were looking for a church home, but weren't connected. Real financial pressure. Business was going downhill fast as the economy started to take a turn for the worse.
1: Because losing your position as a head pastor of this church because of your addiction, you had to find other sources of income. Right. right. And right. you started and your own business. I started a little cleaning company.
2: Would do specialized cleaning. Uh, Do window cleaning gutters, pressure washing, things like that. It's more of a, a niche market. Not many people want to pay hundreds of dollars to have their windows cleaned. And so as the economy began to turn, so my business did as well. And so we just came under a lot of financial pressure. I was so empty and so unhealthy as a man. Uh, And as a follower of Christ, my relationship with Christ was so really non-existent. Obviously, I was saved, but did not have any kind of walk with Christ to speak of. About a year ago, I I fell. I didn't fall. I jumped. And I began taking pills again and then quickly began buying on the street. And within a matter of about three months, what had been about 30 painkillers a day became almost 60. And if you can imagine putting 60 painkillers in your body every day, Byron, I'd wake up literally, I had them hidden all over the house. Hey, would you uh, find these pills, Becky?
0: I never found them. Um, he told me later that he would put them in a sock, that he would hide them in a sock or they would be hid in the closet. I knew something was wrong. I, I guess I just lived in denial. I didn't want to face the facts of what was really going on. Well, she'd been um, through
2: so much pain the first time. Who wants to go through that again?
1: This did change your life, too, because you had to find a career yourself to help support the family.
0: I mean, yeah, I did. I knew I wanted to go back to work when Cannon started school.
1: And you have four children. And we
0: have four children. I'm a hairstylist now, and, and I really enjoy doing that. I knew something was wrong, but I just couldn't put my you know my finger on it and i knew with justin and his mannerisms of being so manipulative and so so smart he if i did bring anything up i knew he would talk his way out of it or make me look stupid for even thinking the way that i did so i just i lived in my own sad depressed angry little world
1: so this relapse was pretty much it for you The second time you felt like that, hey, there's no sense in continuing this relationship. Well, she can follow up with that,
2: but it wasn't just the relapse of the addiction and the escalation of it to such a level, but it actually began stealing money from family members to support the addiction. The only word I've ever been able to really come up with, it's a nice biblical word, I was just depraved. I literally had no restraint whatsoever in my life. Every second thought in in my mind was about pills and drugs uh, consumed by it. Nothing else mattered, no relationship, no circumstance, no bill that had to be paid, even my children,
1: my wife, nothing came before.
0: That's what it does to you. That's what drugs do to you.
1: You alluded to a verse in our last program in Galatians, a verse that refers to witchcraft, but you said there's a specific term there that people don't realize, Justin? Right. Well, I think
2: in our contemporary culture, in our Western culture, we hear the word witchcraft and we think of an old Tarzan movie or The Witch Doctor in Primitive Africa or something. Uh, The Greek word, of course, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word is pharmakia. And, of course, we get our word pharmacy from it. And what Paul is actually referring to and the Holy Spirit's referring to and it occurs other places, but they're in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. Witchcraft is drug use, and it's entering into an altered state of mind through external forces, through chemicals.
1: These are followers of
2: Jesus
0: oh, yes. Christ. That, yes. Right, Becky? Yes. Byron, everybody has issues. It may not be drugs. And I mean, when I say everybody has issues, I mean believers and non believers alike. It may not be drugs, but it could be the bondage of anger and unforgiveness it could be pornography it could be the god of money everybody's got their own issues i don't care if you're mother Teresa or billy graham that's why we need a savior that's why we need jesus and we've got to l- allow him to come in and deal with these issues of the heart
1: and that's something that you had not come to terms with for a while justin toward the end of, of my days as a pastor
2: byron I, I would go months at a time without spending time in the word without praying course, I'd go to the Bible to get a sermon on Sunday mornings, and I maintained, uh, you know, the image and the profile and, and uh, filled out the job description. I had no relationship with God to speak of. When everything came crashing down in February, I reached a point of such desperation. In the recovery world, the familiar term is bottom, and uh, a lot of various definitions of what bottom is. The best one I've heard is that bottom is when you reach the point that desperately crying out for God is inevitable. When you reach the point that there is nowhere else to go, there's nothing else to do, that if God doesn't intervene in your life, you're literally going to die. And that's where I was in February. I was close to
1: physical death because of the addiction. And because also you saw that your marriage was coming right. apart because your wife said she was ready for divorce. Yeah, I was, I, I was emotionally right. dead. Our well, marriage I was ready was to dead. kick him
2: out. And she did. We've separated for over a month. Each of us, assuming you know, it was just a matter of time before we would be divorced, that she had contacted an attorney and I'd contacted an attorney and things were moving forward. But by God's grace, each of us began to seek him, knowing that if we're going to get on with our lives, we have to be whole people. I so desperately wanted to be free from the addiction. But more than that, I wanted to live again. And I've told people as I share the story of what God's done in my life, I don't live to stay clean. I don't live to not take pills. I live every single day to pursue Christ and my relationship with Him. And for people who are addicts, who, who do have an addictive nature, and genetically people are predisposed to addiction, for people like me, there's really no middle ground. And I think it's tragic somewhat in Western Christianity, a lot of us live sort of in the middle. You know, we, we do the church thing, we do the world thing, we say we love Jesus and yet we're not really sold out. And most people, they do that okay. They, they're successful, they build nice, comfortable lives, but they're just sort of in the middle. And for an addict, the middle doesn't work. I'm either going to be addicted to Jesus or I'm going to be addicted to my sin. And if I allow myself to drift to the middle, I will inevitably go back to being addicted to my sin. So my greatest fear in life is not that I go back to taking pills again. My greatest fear, Byron, is that I go back to those three and a half years of actually being clean, but being so empty, and being so deprived and, and empty of any vital relationship with God, any pursuit, a passionate pursuit for life. That's a far worse condition for me than actually being addicted to the pills.
1: And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more exactly. abundantly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so how frustrating can it be when you're not having that abundant life? Right. Right. And having to maintain the image
2: before the relapse, the image of being a pastor, a spiritual leader, a counselor, all of these things, While inside, I knew it wasn't hypocrisy so much. I was a hypocrite, but that's not what the shameful thing for me was. It was the frustration that here I am preaching one thing, teaching one thing, counseling people that they can have this and they can have that. And I'm not even experiencing myself. What's wrong with me that I can't have the life that God has said that I can have?
1: So we come into this spring we were separated. Each of us began to desperately seek God. You know, in our last program, you made a comment. That you said that if an addict would have a relapse mm-hmm. and then return to the place they left off, mm-hmm. why couldn't you, as a follower of Christ, relapse back to that spiritual plateau right. of walking in fellowship with Christ when things were good? Right. So that was something that planted a seed, mm-hmm. and you thought, well, yeah, this is what I need to pursue. Right. I, I wanted to find that place that...
2: That intimacy with God that I had not only before I ever took a pill, but before I ever lost that vitality and that passion and that intimacy that eventually led to me taking a pill. Becky and I eventually identified the same period in life, the same place, the same circumstances that were going on. And it was out in Spokane, uh, when we first began to plan a church. That was, it was very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Totally disconnected from any support base, uh, you know, 2,000 miles from home. Uh, 28 years old, fresh out of seminary, going to plant a church. It was hard. And after a couple years of discouragement and frustration, disillusionment moved in, and that's actually when I got off track. Uh, But I wanted to go back and find that place where I was filled with so much hope and so much passion and just so much zeal for life, for God, for my wife, for my family, for people. And God began to just quicken my heart and allow me to remember what that was like. So Becky and I began to seek God individually, uh, wanting to be healthy and whole. You're still separated this time. Right. We're still still separated. separated. As
0: far as the divorce goes, yes, I felt like that would be the safest thing for me and my children. I couldn't do it anymore. I was done. I was over. But as the days went by, I just saw a man that was, I mean, I can't explain it. He was beyond broken and so repentive but he's an addict so I was just very confused and I was just really asking God to give me wisdom to show me what to do was it really the right thing for me to divorce him right after that happened um, it just seemed too soon and we have four children I just didn't want to lose 20 years of marriage so quickly because a lot of those years were good years throughout the addiction those years Byron he was always a great father close relationship with our children. We are a close family and I thank God for that. I had to talk to my attorney and um, long story short, I just decided to separate, to give it a year and see how he does. I put some boundaries in place. He would go to outpatient treatment. He would have random drug testing. He would be accountable to men. These things were all in place for the next year to see how he does. You know, forgiveness is granted. Trust is earned. So that's what I have given to him.
1: Was he willing to follow those guidelines? Oh, yeah. He was
0: very willing. He was very willing. And I said very strongly, this is what you're going to do or you're <laughs> out of here, buddy. You are gone. I'm not doing this again.
2: But well, by that time, I wasn't operating under an ultimatum either. It was uh, God had done such a work in me. It was so, so radical by some of the guys who were walking with me. And, and I want to reiterate, they were phenomenal. They weren't too embarrassed, you know they weren't too proud, they weren't too ashamed, they weren't too busy to just drop everything and love me. They didn't just you know see me in the pit and encourage me to climb out. They jumped in with me. And carried me out. And I became very accountable to those guys. But they saw such a radical change that I do not have words for it. They literally said, Justin, do you think this is a salvation experience for you? And I don't think it was. I do believe that I was saved years ago as a teenager. But it's as if I've been born again. God's mercy, His power. We talk in in the church about how God can do anything. And God can deliver people. And we want to see God do miracles in people's lives. Well, Byron, you're sitting here literally looking at a miracle you cannot explain what has happened in my life, in my mind, my body, my heart. You can't explain our marriage apart from the power of God. We were seeking God, still separated, still presuming we were headed toward divorce. But in God's goodness, those desperate paths back to God in intimacy with him became convergent paths back to each other. A little after a month, uh, she allowed me to move back home. But these accountability steps are still in place. And in fact, I wrote up all kinds of things. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I sort of presented them to her and said, do you want to add anything to this? And because right. I, I wanted that. I still get uh, regular drug screens yes. uh, once a month. If she ever detects anything, just a couple of weeks ago, she saw some physical attributes that she used to see when I was taking pills.
0: I called his counselor at the outpatient treatment and I'm like, I said, how is he doing? And he just reassured me that Justin was doing well, that his screens were clean but whenever those feelings that I have come up now, I'm not going to just push them down. I'm going to deal with it.
1: Through the process here and the separation, how were the girls, what was their life like? My children? Yes.
0: Um, Don't forget
1: uh, the boy. We have a boy, right, too. That's right. Forgive me.
0: We, when it all happened again, we decided <laughs> that we would tell the two oldest girls first because we wanted them with us to help the younger they children. They
2: were 17 and 15 at the time.
0: So I'll never forget that night when Justin and I told Catherine and Brynn what happened. They said they knew. They said, we knew something was wrong. And my daughter Brynn, that was 15 at the time, looked at him and said, Papa, they call him Papa. She said, Papa, you've told us to make good choices. You have told us to do what is right in life. And you are the biggest hypocrite of them all. And she turned around and she walked out of the room. And my other daughter, Catherine, that's the oldest, just held all the anger inside, didn't want to talk about it. Two nights later, the four of us told the young ones what happened. They were bawling, crying and um
2: You you would have thought terrorists had come in armed into our home. Cannon uh, said, reaction. Are
0: you going to get a divorce? And I said canon i don't know i don't know the answer to that and katherine and Bryn were holding the little ones while they were crying and while they were looking at justin with this look like how could you have done this mm-hmm. you could not have taken a grenade and thrown it into our family and it hurt any worse than this mm-hmm. as a matter of fact this is worse than that
1: mm-hmm. how about that term you are the biggest hypocrite papa how did that make you feel it, it
2: only affirmed what I had already come to terms with about myself. I mean, I had, I had hated myself, and of course, I knew what I was. You know, for months while this is going on, everybody else is just getting in on the story of what I already knew. Obviously, it hurt. And I mentioned in the the earlier program of my reaction, the memory I'll never forget of Becky throwing herself on the floor when I first told her about the relapse. I will never forget. Those two instances the night we told our teenagers and the night we told the the two younger ones, uh, and i don 't want to forget that 's not my motivation i don 't want to be negatively motivated uh, not just to stay clean but to live for God, but that is sort of a, a barrier back there that if I ever break through the first you know barriers and accountability and start drifting toward that middle ground that will eventually lead to to relapse for me, I can just remember. What their faces were like, what their voices were like, and it wasn't over in a night. It wasn't over in a week. Weeks went by. Now, in our marriage, what we thought would take years, or at least months, literally took weeks and days. Uh, indescribable restoration for, for each of us. Uh, Byron is the most beautiful thing. In fact, we've come to, to call this a beautiful life. That's sort of our uh, that, How ironic. That, that's our description for it. God has given us a beautiful life
1: out of so much pain and so much destruction. You guys have walked in the wilderness mm-hmm. in a very desert place, almost to uh, you for thought a long time. for a long mm-hmm. time, the point that you thought your marriage was going to just deteriorate and not even have a life together. God has fresh mercies every day. Mm-hmm. They are fresh and they're new. And you discovered those in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a day by day healing and process that you guys are depending upon God and Christ being your focus. What's the message that you want to communicate as a couple to those listening? Because you've been quite transparent on our last program and today's program about the feelings, about the addiction. And there are certain things that believers deal with. As you mentioned, Becky, it might not be an addiction of drugs. It could be addiction of something else, another right. stronghold in your life right. that's keeping you from having that abundant fellowship with Christ that he wants to mm-hmm. to do in your life and live in your life. And there's that wall that you build up for whatever reason and kind of block out those mercies that God is wanting to bring your way. Uh, People are listening right now that are where you have been. Mm -hmm. What do you want to communicate? Why have you come to be so transparent with us today?
2: After the, the first encounter, my first encounter with drugs, during that period, I was clean. We didn't talk about it. We didn't want to bring it up. We didn't want to talk about it among ourselves, much less anyone else. We just wanted to bury it. And, of course, there's no healing in that. And one of the urgencies and passions that has come out of this restoration, the miraculous work God has done in my life and in our home, is an openness to say, God, we want to go anywhere and talk to anybody and share what you've done for us. Because if you can do it for us, you can do it for them. And, Byron, I don't care who's listening to my voice right now. You cannot do more damage to your wife or your husband or your children or yourself than I did. You cannot be in a deeper pit. You cannot be more depraved. You cannot have screwed up your life any worse than I did. And I sit here just a few months later, absolutely blown away by God's power and his goodness. I'll add my own words to this, but here's a scripture I want to share in Psalm 31. God took me to this several months ago, and then he put it on my mind again just a couple days ago as I was thinking about this program. Verses 7 and 8 say, I will be glad... And rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction, and you knew the anguish of my soul. When no one else knew about my secret, no one else knew about my sin, God saw my affliction. And then when I was so crushed under it and so broken by it, he did see the anguish of my soul. When Becky didn't believe it, when she couldn't yet trust it, when she didn't understand what was going on, God knew. And he knew that this agony and this anguish and this torment was real. And that I was desperately wanting to be free and be whole. And then verse eight says, you have not handed me over to the enemy. Amen. But you have set my feet in a spacious place. Yes. And some translations say you set my feet in a safe place. And a lot of the times, Byron, we think of God's boundaries and God's restrictions and God's commands as being restrictive. And yet God wants to give us such freedom. And this verse just brings to my mind the image of a child or children being out in a field that has a fence around it, this wide open field with all these joys and delights and beauties. And and their father says, you can go anywhere in this field you want to and you're going to be safe and you're going to find such abundance and such joy, but don't cross that fence. And I've lived on the other side of the fence and I've run a long way past that fence line and found nothing but destruction. And yet God has put me back in a spacious place. The beauty of our lives now, the wholeness, the freedom, the peace, the joy. Now, I have, since God's restoration, I've gone through, in terms of, you know, economically in my business, I've gone through the boom of a springtime season. And now I've gone through the bust of another hard summertime. And the joy has been steady. The peace has been steady. Everything God promises, he has provided. Right. And then in the psalm down in verse 19, I love this part. He says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and you bestow in the sight of men on all those who take refuge in you. Mm. So God has so much goodness stored up for his children. If they will fear him, if they will come to him and say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. And Byron, one of the, one of the things we really want to communicate, not just to individuals, but to the church, to the body of Christ. If people live under condemnation, And fear and judgment, they're not going to come clean. I already knew what I was before I was ever confronted with the elders, before anyone ever knew about my relapse. I knew what I was. I knew how sinful I had become. I didn't need anybody to tell me that. I need somebody to say, Justin, I love you and I'm going to walk with you and you can you can have your life back. Our pews and our pulpits, Byron. I know I was in the pulpit from pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers and deacons and then just the quote-unquote regular people sitting out there in the pews. Our churches are filled with people who are broken Right. with addictions, whether it's painkillers or pornography or closet alcoholism. There is physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, uh, depression, anger, bitterness.
0: And can I say something, too, on this? And there's anger and there's unforgiveness. And just as he was in bondage to drugs and all that came with that, I was so in bondage to anger.
1: And you thought you were justified. And
0: I thought I was justified. I really, really did. But I was miserable. I was miserable. And that was just a piece of my heart that I'm like, no, God, I'm not going to give you that. Because you took my life away. And I'm not going to let you have it. Being a Christian means that we have to die to our flesh. Is it painful? Yes, it's painful. I wanted to just hold that anger and bitterness because I was I felt justified in that but God said Becky you've got to let it go because your sin is just as bad and destructive as your husband's and so God has freed me Mm. from that and that's one of the reasons why God's not only done a work in his life but Mm. God has done a huge work in my life Mm -hmm. I understand the grace and the forgiveness of God in a way that I've never known it before and I just wish that people in the pews could understand that as well you know Christ died for sinners and we're all sinners so it's just been a beautiful life as god takes us on this journey
1: becky you've said earlier that trust was something that was earned are you earning Justin's trust again?
0: Well, forgiveness is granted. Trust is earned. And yes, he is, um, he gets up every morning. I think the alarm clock goes off at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And he spends time 15. in the, 4.15, <laughs> in the word every day. I know that he's spending time with God. I know that he's going to his outpatient every day and doing what he's supposed to do. I know that his screens are clear. I just sense, God in his life, and we are involved in church. We're serving again, we're giving again, we are very involved in church again, and it's been very, mm-hmm. it's just been a wonderful thing. Wow.
1: Morris, family, we're going to have to wrap up our program today. You referred to the term a beautiful life, and you've shared with us the beautiful life that Christ wants to offer each of us. Amen. I thank you for being so transparent. If people listening say, you know what, I can really identify with what Becky and Justin have shared with today, and I'd like to maybe talk with them. Is there a way to contact you guys? Do you have an email address that they could contact you? Probably the simplest way is to find us on Facebook. Everybody's on Facebook these days. (laughs) I was
2: one of the last holdouts, but I'm on. Justin Morris, Becky Morris, in, in the Memphis Network. We're actually in the process of setting up a page, a network page called A Beautiful Life. So, if they just want to go to that, put in the beautiful life in the the uh, Facebook search, they'll be able to find us through that. And we're going to bring people together who God has delivered and restored and healed, and uh, let everybody share their stories.